0: All right, folks, thanks for your patience. I'm just going to have a word of prayer as we start again. Um, Heavenly Father, it's been a rough time. It's been a stressful time. It's been a time that's really pushed us all to the edge. Um, it's definitely pushed me to the edge. And Father, I just want to pray that as, as I shared today, that you would help me to Shake out, shake off the, the stress from the past half hour of all the AV trouble we've had, and the stress from the week. And I pray the same for everyone who's listening that you would help us to be able to lay our bar- our burdens down, Father. We have a lot of burdens that we're carrying. Help us to lay them down, to experience Sabbath rest by just being still and and and. Not thinking about the things from the week that have been stressing us out, but instead to be able to just listen to your Holy Spirit, listen to your words, listen to you speaking to our hearts. Father, I want to thank you for the patience of everyone who's been um who's stuck with us—not just today, but um, who's stuck with you during this time, Lord. We, we give us that sticky faith that can cling on to you despite our challenges, and so we pray this in your Son's name. Amen. All right. So as if this week was not hard enough, um, I think I went a little crazy because I decided to preach about a huge philosophical question. What is the purpose of life or what's the meaning of life? You know, there are many voices that answer that question. If you ask Siri, she'll give you a different answer ranging from, appreciate the little things to um, floss your teeth every day. So she might not be the most reliable source of uh, information. But some voices, scholars, people, um, writers, some voices say live for what makes you happy. Holidays, eating good food, reading a good book, a good life for that for for these individuals are maximizing pleasure and minimizing pain and for them lockdown is very very difficult and depressing some would say the meaning of life the purpose of life is to live to help others do the maximum amount of good and the minimum amount of bad right so help the vulnerable save the environment leave us a little of a carbon footprint as possible keep the rules, right? Help others. Some would say the purpose of life is to love, um, you know, family, friends, relationships, prioritizing, caring for people. That's, that's, That's what brings meaning to life. Some would say we're here to leave behind our DNA in the chain of evolution. Some would say it's to leave a legacy, to make a difference, right? You know, if, you, if you're able to do something amazing to be remembered by. Some would say the meaning of life and all questions, the answer is 42. And some would say there is no purpose in life, right? We're just, you know, human being after human being after human being. Um, there is no purpose. There is nothing, no life after death. Uh, our lives have no meaning. What does the Bible say is the purpose of life? That's what we're here to explore today. We know what all the other voices have said. We know what we think. But what does the Bible say is the purpose of life? And what does God offer as the meaningful life? So the Bible is actually a compilation of 66 books. And I had this beautiful slide I worked for like 15 minutes on that had the different categories. It's okay. Let it go, Jin ha. Okay, so... Um, There are different uh, categories in the Bible. So the Bible is not written in a chronological, uh, sorry, let me say that again. The Bible books are not compiled in a chronological order. So, um, you know, Genesis to Revelation is not by time periods. Rather, the Bible um, has been compiled in um, categorical order. So in other words, the first five books of the Bible are the books of the law. And then you have the books of history. And then you have the books of what's called wisdom literature or poetry. Um, And then you have the books of the major prophets, the books of the minor prophets. Then you get to the time of Jesus, which is called the New Testament. And then you've got the books of the Gospels, which are the stories of Jesus. Then the book of history, which is the book of Acts. Then you've got the letters um, of Paul, who was a major um, Christian missionary and convert the letters of Paul to the churches. So you've got a string of them. Then you've got letters of Paul to individuals. And then you've got letters that other people have written, people like James and Peter and John. And then you get to the book of Revelation, which is a book of prophecy. So those are the, the, the categories um, of the Bible. And that's the order that the Bible is in. So um, the part that I want to focus on today, there's wisdom in old books of the Bible. But The part I want to focus on today is the section called Wisdom Literature. And of the five books in the Wisdom Literature, which are Job, Psalm, uh, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, uh, and Song of Songs, Mm -hmm. because I've been preaching on the Book of Psalms and I've I've also preached on the Book of Job before, today I want to focus on Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and the Song of Songs, um, which are all three songs, uh, three books, excuse me, attributed to the same author who was King Solomon, who was one of the most prosperous kings of Israel, um, and he also had great wisdom. And so it's no wonder that three of the books he wrote are are part of this wisdom literature. Now, I kind of uh, look at these three books as a type of trilogy, if you will, of wisdom that answers the question or, or, or seeks to answer the question, what does it mean to live a good life? What does it mean to live a good life? So how do Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Songs answer that question of what does it mean to have a meaningful life? What is it that gives life purpose? So the first book in this trilogy is the book of Proverbs. And the book begins by nicely summarizing for us the purpose of the book and the purpose of life. And this is very much the tone of the book of Proverbs. So it reads in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 1 onwards, These are the Proverbs of Solomon, David's son, king of Israel. Their purpose is to teach people wisdom and discipline, to help them understand the insights of the wise. Their purpose is to teach people to live disciplined and successful lives, to help them to do what is right, just, and fair. These Proverbs will give insight to the simple, knowledge and discernment to the young. Let the wise listen to these Proverbs and become even wiser. Excuse me. Let those with understanding receive guidance by exploring the meaning in these Proverbs and parables, the words of the wise and their riddles. Verse seven, fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. So you can already tell the tone of the book of Proverbs is basically sharing, um, advice, advice. It's, and, 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 and in several times throughout the book of Proverbs, You hear the voice of Solomon saying, listen, my son. So this is, this is kind of like advice to your children, right? This is, this is our hopes for our children. Um, hopes like, Hey, right? Know what is right, just and fair. And so be somebody who speaks truth, not lies. Someone who walks in humility, not pride. Someone who's diligent, not lazy. Someone who's generous instead of being greedy. And so all of these sections in the book of Proverbs talks about these things. And, and there's a refrain that kind of echoes throughout the book, which is the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. And by fear of the Lord, it's talking about that, you know, that that holy reverence for God. Um, so it's not like fear, like, you know, um, in a scary way, because, you know, uh, you're, you're afraid of God, but it's that fear of the Lord, the way that... Um, <laughs> Right now, the example that comes to mind is Lion King. You know, when it's like Mufasa, and the hyenas are like, "Ooh, right." And and, and it's it's not because Mufasa is the tyrant, but it's because Mufasa has power and he he administers justice in the story of Lion King. So, going back to Proverbs, um, the fear of the Lord is this is this holy reverence and awe of God that that makes us want to live right. Um, and so, many would say that this is the purpose of life to fear the Lord, to revere the Lord and and out of respect and all of him to, to live a good life by making good decisions, being just, being right, being fair and honest, having integrity and reaping the rewards of that kind of choice, that kind of path. And this is what we teach our children, right? Respect authorities, tell the truth, play nicely with others, share, work hard. And if everyone follows these rules, we would have a wonderful, safe community. And, you know, in school, these rules are enforced by the teachers. And so you have a nice, safe space. But as you grow older and you don't have adults to supervise and enforce these rules, and people, as people become more free to do what they want to do, that safety bubble is gone because not everybody wants to follow the rules. And so then what happens is we enter this real world with this disillusionment because good behavior doesn't lead to good outcomes. You share, but the person never gives it back, right? You, 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 um, you give them a turn, but then you're waiting forever for your turn. You stick up for the right, you know, for, for someone who's being bullied and then you get punched in the face. You do the right thing and you still get in trouble. You work hard, but you still still can't make it work. You give, but you don't get back. And so as you grow and you experience this, you realize, oh, man, the rules that I, were, I was taught and the, and the good advice that I had, like even if it's the right thing to do, it's not making it, it, I'm – I'm suffering here. What's going on? And so the right thing is still the right thing but what do we do when life doesn't reward the right thing? What do we do when faithfulness um, leads to pain and loss? So then we come to the book of Ecclesiastes and the author identifies himself as the teacher, which is a rough translation of the ancient Greek word Ecclesiastes. So Ecclesiastes in Greek means teacher. and so this is how uh, it starts. Ecclesiastes chapter one, verses one onwards. These are the words of the teacher, King David's son, Solomon, who ruled in Jerusalem. Now listen to this. Everything is meaningless, says the teacher, completely meaningless. What do people get for all their hard work under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth never changes. The sun rises and the sun sets and and then hurries around to rise again. The wind blows south and then turns north. Around and around it goes, blowing in circles. Rivers run into the sea, but the sea is never full. Then the water returns again to the rivers and flows out again to the sea. Everything is wearisome beyond description. No matter how much we see, we are never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we are not content. History merely repeats itself, verse 9. It has all been done before. Nothing under the sun is truly new. Sometimes people say, here's something new, but actually it is old. Nothing is ever truly new. We don't remember what happened in the past and in future generations. No one will remember what we're doing now. I, the teacher, was a king of Israel and I lived in Jerusalem. I devoted myself to search for understanding and to explore by wisdom everything being done under heaven. I soon discovered that God has dealt a tragic existence to the human race. I observed everything going on under the sun, and really, it is all meaningless. Uh, where am I? Oh, it is all meaningless, like chasing the wind. Very different tone from the, from the book of Proverbs. The word that's translated as meaningless, or sometimes in your versions, you might say vanity. It's the Hebrew word hevel, which actually means smoke or vapor. Right. So he's saying everything in life—it's—it's like smoke. You know, you think you can depend on it, you—you you think it's trustworthy, but then poof, off it goes. And it's you know like smoke. You can't grab it. You can't hold on to it. And like smoke, it, it clouds your vision, and and then it goes away. And so the book of Ecclesiastes, he just repeats over and over again. All the buildings I've built, all the wealth I've accumulated, it's all Hevel. All the education I've acquired, all the wisdom that I have, all the information, it's all Hevel. All the pleasures I've tried, right? All all the sex and the food and the drink and everything, it's all Hevel. And he says, we're all going to die. Life is random and unfair, Unpredictable and meaningless. Everything is heaven Very, very different attitude. And just because he says that doesn't mean it's true. But this is how he feels. And and to give you an example, do you remember 2020? Do you remember when the pandemic and the lockdowns first started? Our attitude was very much like the Book of Proverbs. Where we were like, let's do the right thing. We can learn a new hobby. We can enjoy the quieter pace of life and remember what's really important. Spend time with your loved ones. Call in and check in on them. Discover your local parks. Um, put teddy bears outside your window so that the children can do teddy bear walks. We can do this, Melbourne. We're in this together. Okay. That was last year. That was, that was lockdown one. That was, um, you know, very much. Yes. We do the right thing and we're going to get the right results. That's the attitude of. I know, that was the attitude of Proverbs. Fast forward to 2021, we're not doing teddy bear walks. We are too tired to even go outside. I think there were three days this week where I was so swamped with work and, and remote learning and, and everything, um, cooking and cleaning and laundry. Like, I hadn't been outside for three days. Um, I hadn't showered for those three days either. Sorry, Roy. We're tired of cooking, right? We're tired of even takeaway. Like, I, I just don't even know what to eat anymore. We're tired, you know. There was a time last year when when press conference time. Oh, what time is it? Now I don't even I don't even watch them anymore. I barely check the news, right? We're tired of everyone and everything. Everything is meaningless. Everything is hevel, right? That's how we feel even if it's not actually true, right? And even though doing the right thing is still good, it's just how we feel. And that's how the the writer of Ecclesiastes is is is, is feeling at this point of his life feelings of disappointment and frustration, seeing the injustice and the suffering and the transience and the unpredictability of everything. In 222 verses, there are 125 negations where this teacher deconstructs life and appearance. For example, it seems like work is meaningful and useful, but it's heavily. All that work you've done, it's smoke and mirrors, it's meaningless. And we see this intense tension he feels between faith in god and the bitterness of his feelings and the struggle is real there are 37 questions in the book of ecclesiastes that don't get answered and i love that i love that about the bible that the bible doesn't say here is the answer to everything instead the bible is saying here are the questions we should be asking right here are the questions we should be asking and and you do come to an answer that isn't going to answer everything, but is going to be that clarity through the smoke. And so here's the epiphany in the midst of the angst in Ecclesiastes. We come to Ecclesiastes chapter three, and there's a bit of clearing of the smoke, right? There there is that moment when, you know, smoke is feeling everywhere. And then there's a moment, there's, there's a breath of, you know, fresh air that kind of clears it for a moment. And we see this in Ecclesiastes chapter three, verses one to eight. It says for everything there is a season, a time for every activity under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to harvest, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build up, a time to cry and a time to laugh, a time to grieve and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace and a time to turn away. A time to search and a time to quit searching. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be quiet and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. Verse 11. Yet God has made everything beautiful in its own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. Verse 12, so I concluded there is nothing better than to be happy, to enjoy ourselves as long as we can. And people should eat and drink and enjoy the fruits of their labor. For these are gifts from God. You see, Ecclesiastes forces us, and not just Ecclesiastes, life forces us to strip away all the things that make us feel good about life right? Holidays, you know, freedom, (laughs) all all the things that we, that makes us feel good about life. It also makes us, it forces us to strip away all the things that make us feel good about ourselves, our work, our, our relationships, our achievements, our health, our sense of control. And when all of that is stripped away from us, that's when we can realize that we actually can appreciate Let me rephrase this. When women realize we have nothing, that's when we can truly appreciate something. That all the work, all the efforts, all the right doing, the wisdom, the pleasures of life, in and of themselves, they're nothing. They don't last. They don't add value to our lives. But they are gifts from God to enjoy simply as they are, rather than trying to derive meaning out of them. The answer to that statement, all is heaven all is meaningless, all is vanity. The answer to that is, therefore, all is grace. All is the gift of God. Then we can enjoy the work and the food and, and the life and the relationships and the pleasure that God gives us as gifts without trying to make them more than they are, right? We can enjoy each moment, right? To everything there is a season, and we can enjoy each moment as it is rather than what we want it to be. So then our attitude is adjusted from one of entitlement to one of gratitude. If you think about it, we are so blessed to have what we have, you know, looking at the news and looking at what's happening in Afghanistan and Haiti and around the world, right? They would be so grateful to have a safe space to be in. And so when we realize that what we have, we're not entitled to these things, that that we're not supposed to have these things, that life, it, it is all smoke, it is all hevel, it is not something we can hold on to. At that moment, then we're grateful for everything we do have. And God one day will, will clear the hevel, the smoke, the confusion, and we will see that he does make beautiful everything beautiful in his time. And so we come to the Song of Songs, the third book in my little trilogy for today. It's also called the Song of Solomon or the Canticles. And we get a very different tone once again. Song of Songs, chapter one, verse one. This is Solomon's Song of Songs, more wonderful than any other. Kiss me and kiss me again, for your love is sweeter than wine. How pleasing is your fragrance. Your name is like the spreading fragrance of scented oils. No wonder all the young women love you. Take me with you. Come, let's run. The king has brought me into his bedroom. This isn't the father giving advice to his son like Proverbs. This isn't the, you know, the midlife crisis, uh, existential wrestling in Ecclesiastes. This is a love song, a very passionate um, you know, very risque duet between Solomon and his bride, the love of his life. Scholars believe that she was the Egyptian pharaoh's daughter whom Solomon married. What is this love song doing in the middle of the Bible? Um, and for many years, you know, some, some, you know, um, or, you know, during the middle ages, for example, you were forbidden from reading this book until you were 30. And, and, and many people have questioned, why is this book here? But when you analyze the literary structure and the content of this song, you find something amazing. You find this hidden voice. So there's the, the Solomon, you know, the, 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 the man, the groom. You've got the bride who calls herself the Shulamite or the dark-skilled, skinned one she calls herself. And then you've got the friends, but there's this other voice that's not obvious to the cash, the, to the casual listener, um, and to the casual reader. Um, the voice joins and binds the song together in a key moment. It's found in Ecclesiastes chapter five, verse one, where the voice says, Oh lover and beloved, eat and drink. Yes, drink deeply of your love. Now, different translators have, have tried to, you know, do their best to guess who this voice is. So by the way, um, and you'll learn more about this when we do our Bible, uh, our workshop on how to read the Bible, but, um, the subheadings in your Bibles, the chapter numbers, the verse numbers, all of that. Though that's not in the original text. Those are the translators putting them in there to help you. But at the end of the day, they're best guesses based on, on context. And so when you go back to the original text, right? It doesn't have quotation marks. There is no subheadings. Um, it's back in the original when it was written. It was clear who spoke what part and who sang which part. But over the years, uh, we had we have just the lyrics. You know, imagine having. Um, a song that has multiple components, but you just have the lyrics. And so you have to do your best to guess when someone is supposed to come for which part. And so, you know, people, different translators have said, oh, is, is this their friends speaking? But uh, Professor Richard Davison, Dr. Richard Davison, who was one of my favorite professors at Andrews Seminary, Wrote an 800 page book on the theme of sexuality in the Old Testament and he analyzed, um, the book of Song of Songs in depth and he's written commentaries on it. And let me summarize his conclusion for you. He says that this voice in Ecclesiastes 5 chapter 1 where that blesses the, the lovers and, and, and yeah, it says, yes, enjoy your, your love and your intimacy. That voice is God, right? This is the God who created sexuality and intimacy. This is the God who created marriage and and who created love. And even though he isn't mentioned overtly in the Song of Songs, there are hints for the Hebrew reader throughout the lyrics that he is the source and the ultimate fulfillment of this love. For example, the climax of the Song of Song Songs is uh, chapter 8, verse 6, where the woman sings, place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm." For love is as strong as death, it's jealousy as enduring as the grave. Love flashes like fire, the brightest kind of flame. Many waters cannot quench love, nor can rivers drown it. If a man tried to buy love with all his wealth, his offer would be utterly scorned. And, you know, in the English, we miss it. But in the original Hebrew, that phrase that says that love flashes like a fire, the brightest kind of flame. That's, that's once again, the translator's best efforts, right? But in the original Hebrew, it literally says love, you know, is like this fire. And it says, like, it says the flame of Yahweh. Well, it says the flame of Yah, which is um, the short nickname of Yahweh. And Yahweh is one of the names of God. In other words, the flame of Yahweh is the key to understanding this book, The Song of Psalms. Yes, it's a literal love story between Solomon and his bride, but it's also this type, it's also this beautiful story that illustrates the love that God has for us. He, He, you know, in the New Testament, um, God says that the church, his people are like his bride, and that when he comes again, he's gonna be so excited to bring us to the to the banquet hall. God is the source of love. Every spark, every intimacy, every bond we feel was sparked by God, the creator of love. He started the fire and it is unquenchable, immeasurable and contagious and the power has no boundaries. And, and he's, and he's illustrating this, you know, by, by looking at the extreme power of sexuality. I mean, if you think about it, there's a reason why, um, sexuality is something that drives not only many people, but many TV shows and cells why because people understand that there's this incredible force that happens in in the intimacy right it's it's it drives many people crazy it, it's what you know um, makes us um have children even though giving birth is 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 uh so painful it's it's this incredible gift that God has given to humanity and he uses that as an illustration by saying this is but a spark from the flame of Yahweh, that the love that God has is, is way more powerful and way more intimate than that. John, one of Jesus's closest friends while he was here on earth, wrote in the letter, um, 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 to 11. He says, dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is bright brought to full expression in us. And this loving each other is not just talking about your family and friends. It's talking about our neighbors, our colleagues, our boss, our leaders, those who are different from us, those who disagree with us about COVID and vaccines. It's even talking about our enemies, that when we love each other, that's how we know that God lives in us. And this is an impossible thing of ourselves. You know, Paul, the influential first century Christian, convert and missionary, wrote in the letter to the Church of Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, this famous passage that gets quoted, you know, at, at weddings many times. It says, if I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. And, and and so here we have this combination of Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and the Song of Songs. You see Proverbs that said, if you do the right thing, you get the right rewards. And it's saying, yeah, you know, these are all good things. But all wisdom, all knowledge, all righteousness, it's all hevel. It's all meaningless. It's all nothing. If we don't have the, flag, the flame of Yahweh burning in our hearts. First Corinthians 13 goes on to say, love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its way. It is not irritable. It keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Prophecy and speaking and languages and special knowledge will become useless. But love will last forever. Now our knowledge is partial and incomplete, and even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. But when the time of perfection comes, these partial things will become useless. Verse 11, when I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. Now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror, or I would say like, like heaven, like smoke but then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely, just as God now knows me completely. I just want you to think about that. God already knows you completely. Verse 13, three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love having looked at Proverbs, having looked at Ecclesiastes, having looked at Song of Songs, we come to this chapter, this moment where it brings all three together and says that the purpose of life, what makes life meaningful and why we exist is to be loved by God. To be loved by God every moment and every day. And when that flame of Yahweh Right, sparks into our hearts. It melts our hearts of stone, so that we can love each other. You know, I was having Bible study with Florencia this week on Zoom. Um, she's preparing for baptism. So once we're in, out of lockdown, she she and uh, Kay are going to be baptized. So we're very excited about that. Anyway, I was having Bible study with Florencia, and she shared something with me, and she gave me permission to share this with you. Florencia went to uh, get some takeaway, you know, pizza at a shop. And while waiting for her, she ordered her food. And while waiting, she sat down at this table and she put her bag on the table. And then she noticed something that was sparkling next to her bag. And she looked down and on the table next to her bag was this stunning, dazzling golden ring with a glittering pink diamond. And she stared at it because it was so stunning and beautiful. And that was her first thought. Wow, that's a beautiful ring. And the next thought that came to her was, that thing will never love me, but Jesus loves me. I can't keep this ring. She didn't want to be tempted by it any longer. So she didn't even touch it. She slid the piece of paper under the ring and she took it to the counter. And she said, oh, you know, in case someone comes back for this ring, I found it on the table. And and the person at the counter was like, wow, that's a really beautiful ring. And Florencia was able to walk away from that that ring with joy and peace in her heart. And when she told me this story, I was so struck by her statement that this ring, no matter how beautiful and precious and valuable it may be, it will never love you back. All the things that money can buy may bring you pleasure and prestige and wealth and enjoyment for a time, but those things will never love you. All the time and effort you put into your work, while it's meaningful and good and and, and productive and helps people and, and pays your bills, your work will never love you. If you stop producing or performing at the level your work wants, they'll thank you for your service, but then they'll let you go. All the time and effort and heart you've invested into relationships while they're fulfilling and rewarding also have their limits because... One day they might pass. Or perhaps you give and you give, but there's no guarantee that they'll love you back forever. But there is one guarantee. There is one truth that remains. A truth to live by. And that's the truth that God loves you. He loves you whether you have anything to give. He loves you at your worst. He's loved you since you were in your mother's womb and he will love you until your last breath. And he will love you again for eternity when he resurrects you. Pastor and theologian, uh, Dr. Tim Keller wrote, to be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear, but to be fully known and truly loved is what it means to be loved by God. It is what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense, humbles us out of our self-righteousness, and fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us. Remember First Corinthians thirteen, where it says, "God already knows us fully, but He loves us truly." Right? We are fully known yet fully loved by God, and that's what brings meaning to our lives. That's the purpose of our life, to be loved like that and and, 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 and for that flame of Yahweh to, to just burn in our hearts and change us from the inside out so that, you know, that love changes who we are, our, our identity, our self-worth. It changes why we do what we do day after day. That flame of Yahweh is what motivates us. His love for us is our reason for being, his love for us is what gives meaning to everything we do, our work, our relationship, our, our our day-to-day activities. His love for us is worth living for and it's worth dying for. The next time I preach, I'm going to share more about God's love and how it transforms us. But let me leave you with this prayer. In Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 21, it says, when I think of all this, I fall to my knees and I pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide how long, how high, and how deep his love is. Verse 19. And may you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and the power that comes from God. Now all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. And this is my prayer for all of us. Please bow your heads with me as as I pray to close. Father God, every word of of that passage in Ephesians chapter 3 resonates. This is what I I want for me and for our church and for everyone that we would be able to to experience the depth of your love, that we would know just how wide and how long and how how deep is your love for us. And that, Father, as a result of your love, that we would be transformed. We pray in your son's name. Amen.